Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Unrestricted. I'm your host, Ben Lieber. Hope everybody had a wonderful week. My special guest this week is Will Raggetts. Will Raggetts is the Vikings beat writer for Sports Illustrated and SI.com. He's a Minneapolis native, went off to college at Northwestern, and freaking just killed it at one of the best journalism and broadcasting schools in the country. Rose to the top. Got an internship with Sports Illustrated in New York City. Moved back to Minneapolis. And um, timing is everything. Timing is everything. And he became, at just uh, the ripe age of, what, 21 years old, the Vikings beat writer for Sports Illustrated. He's been covering the Vikings for the last few years. And uh, he's one of the best. You can find him on Twitter at Will Raggetts, R-A-G-A-T-Z. So R-A-G-A-T-Z. And I've just come to, to really enjoy all of his content, everything that he pushes out. I think he's got a great mix of honesty, criticism, insight uh, about my favorite football team. So if you are a fan of the Minnesota Vikings, you're going to love this podcast because we really go into everything that happened re- recently with the Minnesota Vikings, the firing of Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer, the hiring of their new GM in Quasey. And we get his perspective on all that, who he thinks the Vikings will target for the next head coach, because as of this taping, we do not have a head coach. And he definitely gives his insider information, his outlook on what the team needs to do and the decisions they need to make. And, uh, you know, like every team does, kind of build optimism and hope for the upcoming 2022 season. So here he is without further ado, Will Raggetts on Unrestricted. What's going on, Will? It's it's good to meet you, man. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, it's good to meet you too. It's good to check out the uh, the studio here, and uh, excited to talk some Vikings and yeah, hang out. Yeah, I wish this studio was a little more professional. I mean, we're for for a full disclaimer, we are in the iHeart Studios, and this is not my own room. So it'd be nice if my podcast had my own studio, you know, it'd maybe someday. really, really polished and like really sophisticated, but maybe someday. Yeah. Maybe you can push me over the top. We'll see. I don't <laughs> know. Your last guest was Adam Thielen and now we're going to me. So I don't know how I'm going to exactly live up to that, but I'm going to do my best to. No, you're going to do fine. You're going to do fine. Um, yes, Adam was good. And um, but look, it's just be yourself. Just. We're going to shoot the shit, shoot the breeze. And and for everybody out there that doesn't know uh, who you are, uh, Will Raggetts, is, you are the Vikings beat writer for Sports Illustrated. And, you know, you and I were just kind of briefly conversing over, over Twitter. And I've always, and I'll say this, that I've always, of all the beat writers, and we have a lot of really good beat writers, I think, with the Minnesota Vikings. Absolutely, yeah. But there's something about your content that is concise um, I think always very articulate and well thought out. I don't think that you go for like the big tweet and like the big thing or you don't try to do, you know, I, I do feel like there are some Twitter people out there, especially sports that really try to go for the punchy deal. You always just have good content. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm guessing obviously that's, that is intentional. I mean, I'm sure everybody thinks about what they want to tweet, but 
Uh, I've always just found throughout the football season that you're a great source of information. You have opinions, but you don't get like too opinionated. And it's not all the same cookie cutter information that everybody else kind of has. So I think you have really, really unique content. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I try to uh, kind of find a balance like you mentioned where um, like I grew up in in Minneapolis. I grew up a Vikings fan. Um so getting this job, I, I mean, I, we can talk about it. I kind of lucked into it. And, yeah, let's do uh, yeah, it. It's, can get it's been it. really cool. But I kind of try to bring that mix of, like, I'm being impartial and I'm being professional and I'm bringing, like, the facts and uh, various stuff. But I, I try to keep it fun, too. And, like, I'll, I'll tweet out clips of highlights or I'll, like, just impart some humor into my tweets. And um, But I, I really pride myself on on the stories and the, the written content on my on my website as well as uh, being uh, just engaging with with fans on Twitter, and I, I think it's it's been fun. Yeah, so let's let's get that part out of the way. So <clears throat> Will Raggetts on Twitter is just Will R A G A T Z. Yep. yep. But you can find all of your stuff on on the Sports Illustrated site, the SI dot com. Um, you do some other other content as well because you go through just like how people can see your articles and see your information. Yeah, so it's all on um, a, a few years ago. Sports Illustrated started these team sites, um, and so it's on si.com slash NFL slash Vikings. You can find it from the si.com homepage. Um, so it's all in there, or you just go to my Twitter, and I have it. I have the website linked in my bio as well. Yeah. So how did you get the job? I mean, you're a, you're a Minneapolis guy. You grew up in South Minneapolis. You yeah. went to Northwestern College. Uh, you went to the journalism, outstanding journalism school there at Northwestern. Uh, you come back to, the, to Minneapolis. You stay here. You're a fan of the Vikings. You grew up with the Vikings. You grew up in the city. Then how all of a sudden do you get a chance to to write for Sports Illustrated covering your, the yeah. team that you grew up with? So it started when I was at Northwestern. Um, I mean, I went there. It was the only like journalism school I applied to. I, it wasn't something I've always known I wanted to do, but I knew I liked sports and I liked writing. So uh, that that part of it worked out well. But um, I uh, I started covering Northwestern football when I was there. Um and I started on the on the school newspaper there, which is very like formal, professional. Like every story has to have this amount of quotes, and like it has to be a certain word length to fit in the paper. And like there was something cool about that. And I covered the women's basketball team my freshman year for the paper. But I, I saw this website that was there um, through SB Nation. If you're familiar with that, yeah, the Northwestern SB Nation site. Um, and I was talking to some some people I knew, and they kind of recruited me to come over to that. And that ended up being awesome because it's just the, the freedom of, of online journalism and, and, and blogging, people will say. Um, I, that word gets like a weird connotation, but I, I, don't, I don't mind that word at all. Um, so I ended up covering um, Northwestern men's basketball and football for the next two, three years for that site. Ended up being the editor-in-chief and um, just the freedom of that, like the voice of it was, was different. Like you're allowed to have fun. And um, I think I learned a lot about Twitter from running the – the, the Twitter page for uh, Inside and You, this this SB Nation site, and just having fun with it and like tweeting out gifts and um, humor and, and just trying to find ways to to get people interested in it. And um, I thought that was really fun. So that's the long way of saying I, I ended up using the stuff I had written for that site and, and covering Northwestern football um, to get an internship with Sports Illustrated in my senior year. Hmm. So the, a really cool thing about Northwestern's journalism program, this was not like I went and found this all entirely on my own. Every every person in the, the journalism school 
gets an internship um, either your junior or senior year for a quarter. Um, and they have these various sites that they have like affiliations with. So uh, you still have to apply. I put Sports Illustrated as my top choice and um, ended up getting that. And I had a really, really great quarter there. It's fall t- 2018. I was in New York City going into their, their newsroom every day and uh, just thought that was really cool and covered college football and the baseball playoffs were happening at the time. And they kind of had me doing a little bit of everything, which I, which I thought was really awesome. But I think my the quality of my writing kind of stood out to them. And um, so I kept in, in contact and graduated in 2019 and came back here and, and didn't have anything lined up right away. I was just kind of hanging out. Uh, so home. you complete everything in New York City. Yeah. But that doesn't automatically lead you into the next thing. You're just kind of like, hey, thanks for the internship. Yeah. You know, they, you hope you did some some good work. I graduate. You move back to Minneapolis, and you're like, now what? Yeah, exactly. So I, but so I kept in touch with them, and they had they had said the editor in chief of SI.com, um, this guy Ryan Hunt, had had said to me that I was one of the best interns they'd had. So I was like, all right, that that's a good sign. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep in touch, and and hopefully this can lead to something. And I was assuming that if anything, it would lead. To a position like an entry level job back in New sure, York, sure, which I was fully prepared and, and excited about. If that opportunity came about, did you like New York? I did. Yeah, I lived on the uh, the Upper East Side in an, in a little. Ooh, uh, look at like you! Long term Airbnb situation. It was cool. That's the swanky part, isn't it? I know. It? I know. Yeah. I, that was. I tell people that, and they're like, "What? How did you? How did you?" Yeah, we had a really good deal. This this long term Airbnb. Uh, it was like eleven weeks because Northwestern is quarters. It's a trimesters essentially. Mm-hmm. So I was only there for like three months and. Yeah, we it was the bedroom. Basically, the bed took up the entire room. I got the full New York City experience. Uh, the bathroom was you can stand in it, and you can't move around much. The <laughs> sink and the toilet are right like right across from each other. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed that experience a, a lot. Um, so how was the commute from your apartment to SI's headquarters? It wasn't too bad. So they were all the way down in Lower Manhattan at Battery Park, but yeah, I, I live right next to a, um, a subway stop. Uh, there's like the Q line or something. I don't know. You just hop right on it, and it's like 30 minutes or so. And I was is that just, it? Yeah, it wasn't that bad. I think you had to change once um, or something like. But it was uh, it was it was pretty quick. Hmm. I would just hang out, play games on my phone. I didn't I didn't mind it at all. Um, but yeah, so I kept in touch with them, and uh, I got. I remember in in this was early August 2019. Got the email that. Like, hey, we're 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 starting. We we've partnered with this other company. Um, there was Maven. It's now called the Arena Group. Yeah, they, they bought Sports Illustrated. There's whole okay uh, like business side of stuff there. But they, one of their their projects was that they wanted to start these team sites, kind of to emulate what SB Nation and other um, other platforms have had a lot of success with. So they did that, and they knew that a that I was good at writing and mm-hmm. um, knew football and and stuff like that. And B that I was based in in Minnesota, so they reached out and like, do you want to cover the Vikings for us? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that no brainer. Like, I did not expect that to happen, really, in my wildest dreams. Because I mean, usually, I, I really, I just feel really, really lucky to have this opportunity to just be credentialed and, and covering the Vikings. Because usually, you got to take a lot of different steps to get to that point. Right. I, I recognize yeah. that I'm I'm really lucky and, and privileged in that way. Um, but I mean, of course, I'm I'm saying yes to that. So. I got started uh, right away. I missed training camp in 2019 because it all came together really mm-hmm, quickly. Mm-hmm. But started um, like right before week one uh, against the Falcons 2019. Um, 
I actually wasn't I wasn't at that game because I like my credential request didn't get processed in time. So my first time in the press box at US Bank Stadium was week three against I'm gonna the blame our friend Bob Hagan on that yeah, one. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Go Bob, for it. you're you're getting we're gonna tear <laughs> you down right now. Yeah, but yeah, so it's it's been three full seasons since then. This is this will be the third off season, which I found I I kind of like the off season almost just as much as the season. Like people are so into that with free agency and, and yeah. I've gotten really into the draft. Um just because I, I do this, I mean, every single day I'm, I'm looking for angles to write one, two, three stories depending on on the day, and um, yeah, it, it's it's been cool. I mean, I'm I'm kind of my own my own boss, running my own my own show. So, um, so how many? What fun. is the obligation for SI as far as articles? How many per week do you have to do? Yeah, so there there used to be things along those lines, like it would be like. Um, to a day averaged out or whatever with with certain, but they they've gone through various changes. So at this point, I don't have any exact obligations. Um, but I mean, uh, like full transparency, I get paid based on like the number of clicks I get. Right. Um, it used to be like there was a set amount a month, and then if you go over that, you get based on the the yeah. revenue your site yeah. generates. But now it's just fully based on the the traffic that. So I it's generate. basically a, a full commission job. Yeah, like it it's is. not base plus commission. Like you no. are doing full yeah. commission. Which, which Dude, is, that's so stressful. I know it is a little <laughs> bit stressful, but and it, it can be volatile. But I mean, overall, the way it's structured, I've been I've made more than what the previous was with the, the no base. kidding. Yeah, and especially this month, I don't like people. I don't know if people would 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 guess this, but this month has been the biggest month ever on my website and also on my Twitter. Like it's it's been. Blowing up, I think the I think the coaching change and the GM change. People yeah, are just really yeah. excited about. Uh, I mean, fans are just by nature optimistic, and, and that's one thing that I have always kind of tried to bring is just leaning, like being realistic, not being like purple tinted glasses all the time. What I like, I'll criticize if things need to be criticized, um, but I try to lean on the optimistic side, especially during the off season, because I think people that's just more fun for people. Yeah. Well, that's where you build hope, I think. Yeah. You know, every fan base, let's be honest, everybody wants to win a Super Bowl. We all understand that. But there's 31 teams that are going to lose. And there's 31 teams that are really going to go kind of back to the drawing board and be like, oh, man, where did we fail? You know, like even if you lose in the Super Bowl, those teams are still going to look like, shit, man, we, we got to booster and bolster our special teams. I mean, look at Green Bay and yeah. – um, I mean, it, even three of the four still alive right now are going to lose. They're all going to lose, yeah. you know. And so – I do think that that's probably the good approach that you're going to have to, you know, criticize it and kind of tear it down a little bit. I mean, you have to look at like what what went wrong, but then you got to build up the fan base, the hope that hey, we're just going to make a couple changes. You know, we're gonna we're gonna go out and we're gonna add, you know, in our in our situation with the Vikings, we're gonna go out and add a right guard, and we're gonna find a pass rusher, and we're gonna maybe find another another cornerback, whatever it is. But it just gives the fan base like, yeah, we're not that far away, like. We can, we can get back in this thing. So I, I like that approach. And I do like the fact that you mentioned this when I was talking earlier about I just like your content. Um, there are some sites, and I'm certainly not going to name them here, but there are some sites that cover the Vikings that I think they lean on the negative. You know, and they, yeah. they want that they want the clicks of the pitchfork nation to be like, Yeah, man, screw the Vikings and and you know, you're so right and we're you know, this is everything's glass half full. I'm like, I don't know, there's times just be honest with it. You know, if it's there's time for criticism, don't be afraid to criticize. If there's time for praise, 
then feel free to praise. But don't lean into this negativity just because you think you're going to get clicks. And you don't yeah. do that. No, I agree. I, I think both vantage points, you can understand how that can drive engagement. Um, and I, I try to kind of split down the middle a little bit. And I mean, these last two years, I probably admittedly am guilty of like buying in a little bit too much to this the Vikings idea of like, oh, we're just going to run it back. Like we had this good, we had this <laughs> yeah. great team 2015 <laughs> to 2019. The window hasn't closed, guys. It's still open. And it wasn't. I mean, they still were like, what, seven and nine, eight and nine. They were competitive. But I think especially last last summer, I was like, oh, look at all these defensive players they're bringing in, like mm-hmm. Sheldon Richardson, Bashad Bree, like all, all this depth. And it just didn't pan out. But what I think is so exciting about right now is just it's it's something new. And, and you could talk yourself into, okay, like the, the Zimmer-Spielman regime, like we add a few pieces, they're close. But I, it's exciting that they're going in an entirely new direction. Um, I was really impressed by by Quasi yesterday and his his press conference, um, and and the the coaching search as well. I just think it's it's a fun time to be a Vikings fan and just kind of imagine the possibilities. So before we get into that, because I know that that is sort of the meat of of the the current topics and being present, but going back to your upbringing here in Minneapolis, so. Were you an actual fan of the Vikings or just by osmosis just paid attention to the Vikings? Oh, no. I was like a diehard fan. You're diehard. And right. I still, to this day, am a huge Twins fan, Timberwolves fan, Wild yeah. fan. Like, I watch all those games. The interesting thing with the Vikings is, like, it's shifted a little bit because I'm in this role and I'm writing about the team for my job. Mm-hmm. Like, I still would say I would like them to win. Um, I don't know if I would call myself – a fan I don't it's it's a tricky thing because I'm I'm like around the team and I'm covering it and um so I try to be like professional and and impartial to a degree and you kind of need to be but I don't agree with the like the notion that like because I'm covering this team I need to just completely give up on my fandom like I think some people say that like to do the job you have to be completely impartial and you can't and my role I guess is a little different from somebody who covers it for like a newspaper or a certain sure, thing, yeah. like, and it's very like reporting heavy, and mm-hmm. and I I write stories that incorporate quotes, and I ask questions when I'm there, and, and things like that. But it's it's a little bit more of a blend between that side, like the journalism aspect of it, and like just what I grew up doing in college, which is just blogging and having fun on Twitter and and bringing the analysis in. and what are, what's my opinion on this move the Vikings made, and what are the takeaways from this person's press conference mm-hmm. and. And things like that. So, but yeah, I mean, this is pretty cool for me because I grew up watching watching you and Chad Greenway in the um, in the defensive like front seven and uh, and all that. And I very much remember twelve uh, year old me shedding a few tears after uh, the 09 in, in <laughs> yeah. New Orleans. So, um, boy, damn man, you're really dating me. Yeah, right not now. to you make you feel old. But I'm only I'm only 24 right now. I mean, I know I don't look like it necessarily, but you're uh, only 24. I know. Matthew Collar gives me gives me the, a hard time because my my hairline does not look like I'm 24. But yeah, well, you I and me both on that. Yeah, like I I have <laughs> I just shaved my head actually this morning. But if I if you would have seen me last night and I have yeah. about a week's worth of growth on my on my head, you can see this big just cul-de-sac in the front and. Uh, n- now I have to shave my head because it's it's just so patchy. But yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm getting close to that point as well. But yeah, we'll you're see. already like at a at a clipper size. You're like a one right now. Just yeah. take it all the way down. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I yeah. uh, 
I'm a big hat guy, uh, understandably, but yeah, same here. I think I'll, I think I'll, I'll give in eventually. <laughs> This podcast is supported by my friends at Redmond Real Salt. I discovered the salt about a year ago when I did the one-month carnivore diet challenge, which called for a pure source of mineral-rich sea salt. And I just became obsessed with the flavor it provided for all the meats, the steaks, the chicken, the pork. It really was love at first bite. Then I find out that Redmond Real Salt is mined right here in the great United States from an ancient underground seabed in Redmond, Utah. Yeah, there used to be an ocean in Utah. I didn't know that. So you're not getting something that's shipped in from halfway across the world. It's also harvested without the use of any explosives or compromising machinery, and there are no additives added either. It all means this ancient sea salt and its 65 natural trace minerals are left in the purest form to give your body the cleanest natural salt that is essential for daily health and wellness. They also have an incredibly clean electrolyte mix that I use every morning to start my day with a natural hydration. And they also have a workout mix, a pre-workout mix that I use Every time I go out and get my workout in, it's a great way to hydrate your body and get your body and mind right for your sweat. They have a bunch of other products as well. Check out Redmond Real Salt at redmond.life. That's right, redmond.life. And use the promo code LIBER, L-E-B-E-R, at checkout for 15% off your order. It's redmond.life, promo code LIBER for 15% off your order. Now, let's get back to the show. So that's super impressive. I mean, going through your story, obviously you worked your ass off at Northwestern. You're you're obviously very talented, and they recognize that. Which I think for everybody out there to to realize how impressive that really is. Northwestern, the school of journalism there is regarded as one of the top in the country. Um, you know, I like Sy- to argue that it is, in fact, the top in the country. Between some, you and Syracuse, who's Syracuse number one? Syracuse and some Missouri, Missouri, and some like Arizona maybe State, USC, is Arizona it? State yeah. people who would. Who would probably argue? For oh, their all school, the USC but... people! Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, they're on get, another level with their pride. <laughs> I mean, they they think because they have Hollywood in their back in their backyard that they are way supremo. Yeah, but um, but you know, in in a, I know that you guys can probably debate all about. The fact is, you're you're top five. You're top five. Northwestern is top five. In fact, that so the fact that you were able to rise to the top so quickly, I think, just speaks to your talent. Um. So that's incredible. You're 24 years old. You're you're working pretty much your dream job and covering the team that you grew up with. You you get to move back home. Um, that's that's awesome. How does when you guys? I've always kind of wondered this, and I've never really talked to like the Courtney Cronins of the world and the people that cover the Vikings here locally. But the relationships that you guys build within within the team and to get information, like how does that all? kind of work because it there is a separation between team players and media but yeah. yet the media is allowed to be there most days how do you go about getting information and how do you go about getting unique information that not e- that everybody else in the room is not going to get yeah it's a good question i mean the the unfortunate thing for me was my first year covering this team was 2019 um which was a fun season. And then that was like the full, I was just thrown in, I was 22 or whatever, just thrown into the into the fire and like locker room access, like the classic experience. And I was in the locker room most days and um, very intimidating at first, like fresh out of college. Like, yeah. And, I, and I, would, I, would, I would go talk to these guys a little bit, but. Um, but you're not getting introduced. In my, in my recollection yeah. of being in the locker room as a player, it's not like, 
the PR department and the communication staff for the Vikings are like, hey, everybody, no, just no. want everybody to know, Will Raggetts is here. He's a yeah. new guy, Sports Illustrated, good guy. Just just get to know him. Like, there's not yeah, there's that, not that introduction. I, I mean, I don't know how people would respond to that. But. It's like all of a sudden you're in a scrum. You're like, I see a new face. I don't know who that is. Yeah, exactly. And, um, well, one guy I kind of leaned on and talked to a good amount was Afadio Denebo, who yeah. I knew. I covered him at Northwestern. So that was kind of cool. Um, and he, like, introduced me to a couple guys near him at, the, at his locker. Um, but – yeah, I mean it was it was intimidating for sure, and and I would just get in the in the scrums and and all that, and that was a really cool just kind of learning by by fire. Um, unfortunately, the last two seasons, as you know, like mm-hmm. there's, that's been gone, that's been taken away, and it was 2020 was all over Zoom, and then this past season was there was a mix of Zoom and like in person, but the in person is just we go to the media center where I have my little cubicle and. Um, Wednesdays, Kirk and Dalvin and whoever come down, and and they're in the little adjacent press conference room, just standing at the podium. So, it, it's not really a, a forum where you can have little like side chats or whatever. And yeah, and so I've kind of missed that part of it of like the relationship building aspect a little bit, um, which is too bad. And and I, I've tried to do the like off the field stuff as well, like whether it's like DMing with with sources a little bit but I haven't I'm still working on on that aspect of it the the um the like the source building and all that. So I'm you're not going to see me like breaking news a lot, but I think the way I'm able to kind of drive engagement and stuff on Twitter without doing that is like somebody who breaks news and that, and that's like awesome that you have the sources and whoever and and Everyone on the beat has been there for a lot longer than I have, and, yeah. and that's they're very, very good at their jobs. Um, they'll they'll break news, or, or like a national guy will break news, and then I I try to just say, okay, what does this mean? Like, I'll I'll, I'll take the Viking sign somebody. I'm gonna like tweet various things. Go look up like um, this guy's past and, and various things from his career, and then I'm gonna write about it and and try to bring all the different angles mm-hmm. to that story. Even though I'm not the one who's actually breaking, breaking the news, it. yeah, yeah, if that makes sense, yeah, no, that that does make sense because you got to find your you got to find your angle, yeah, and if your angle at this point in time is, you know, you haven't built up that trust base yet with people on the inside or just players or whatever, then it's not like you're just going to sit on your hands, yeah. So you got to find a way to like, okay, well, if if I'm not going to be breaking news guy and I'm not going to have like the the direct inside information on some of these decisions and some of these these transactions, well, then at least at least I can educate the the fan base on like some of the background who they are kind of aggregate some information and put it all in one one nice piece which mm-hmm. um again is is so helpful you know cuz a lot of fans just, they don't they don't have the time to do that and if they do look up somebody's name they'll click on one article whatever is at the top of the google search and they call it good like ah, i know enough you know so it's nice that you'll you'll take the time to do all of that take all these all the bits and pieces of information and just put it in like one article so it's like a one-stop shop yeah and, and i think a lot of times like the top stories will be all right here's what happened here's a few details and and my thing is i try to go a little bit deeper than that and like the the analysis side of it i, I keep coming back to that word but like what does this mean and, and um what are the like impact what are the impacts that result from this like what does this mean for this guy's job and his his potential playing time and um just, just various things like that where you, you go a little bit deeper than just kind of the cookie cutter details. How does it work when you guys are doing, let's say, with the press conference and, again, you know, time stamping this, this is just uh, a couple days after the Vikings named the new GM. But in that situation, 
with all of the media in there and you get this sense of seniority and a little bit of a hierarchy, how does that work and who gets to ask the first question? You know, or how does the questions go? You know, it, you just raise your hand and whoever they, cl- they call on or is everybody just kind of know in the room like, okay, we got to let the older people ask the questions first and then maybe if they get to me. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of that in general. Like I, I defer to um, the guys who have been here and for a long time, the guys and gals with, with Courtney, but um, and, and they're like have so much respect for them and, and what they've kind of proven with, with their jobs and, and how good they are. Um, so I, I I very rarely will ask like one of the first couple of questions, but I'll wait and um, if if I ask a question, I'll, I'll wait a little bit and then see uh, maybe what's been talked about and if there's an angle that that hasn't come up, then I'll try to um, to come in with that. Yesterday, um, with, with the the Quesiado Fomensa intro presser, was a little bit unique um, inside inside TCO in the indoor practice facility. Like they had the whole stage set up, uh, and, and they were making it very fancy. They had like uh, the PR interns or whoever passing around, um, like the microphone. Um, mm-hmm. and everybody kind of got like one question, uh, in that thing. So that was a little bit unique for the most part. It's, yeah, it's just, uh, in the, uh, press conference room, it's just kind of, you go for it. And I, that first I was like, all right, like I gotta, um, I gotta be assertive here. Cause I don't want to, uh, just be, just be passive when you have to and you have to actually just just go out and, and say yeah. something. And sometimes you'll you'll start asking questions at the same time as somebody else, and you're like, uh, like who's going to keep going? Here? Yeah. And it's it's kind of a, a, a asserting yourself thing. Um, on Zoom, it was it was. Oh, that has a, to suck. Yeah, it's it's not fun. For a while, it was the same way on Zoom, where it was just you ask a question, whatever, and that gets really weird. It's like with with the little delay there, like we're we're all um, trying to trying to get a question in. They they switched it. Um, so this year was basically you type your name into the chat, and then whoever the PR person running it is mm. will call on you. Uh, and so that made it a little bit more uh, more organized and structured. <laughs> I know I'm narrow casting here with this question or this comment, but around here locally, Chris Thomason works for the St. Paul Pioneer Press, and it was very evident that Mike Zimmer, the old coach, did not like him, and. And it was always – it actually became a fun thing for us as fans because when we would hear Chris's voice, we're like, oh, hell yeah, here we go. Yeah. Like, how's Mike going to respond? It was it was kind of this, like, weird fight that they were having. Um, did you guys sense that too in inside when he asked a question? Like, uh-oh, got to pay attention to how Mike's going to respond to this one. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Chris is a, a fellow Northwestern grad, so we, we talk about that. And just a, re- a really hardworking guy. I mean, he's always he's always grinding the stories, and he's always he's always asking questions. And um, uh, but they're definitely. I'm not, I mean, I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna lie about. It. There was that dynamic for sure, and, and so that yeah, there's was tension. Like you could it, feel it. Was, it. it was tension, yeah. And and especially I think like later this season, as Zimmer kind of started to realize like this this might be the end. Um, the funny one was like after the the final game when when. CT asked him, like, have you have you heard anything about your job status? And Zim's like, I haven't heard, and I haven't heard about yours either. And just, yeah, yeah. Just very, various little things like that. So um, at times it was a little bit too bad because, like, Chris would ask a good, important question that we wanted an answer to, and, and this isn't his fault, but Zim, because it was Chris, because of the – the relationship they had, he wouldn't give them an answer. And then we'd feel like, oh, dang, like we wanted, we wanted an, a, a legit answer to that question. So um, I don't I don't blame 
Chris for for doing his job and asking questions, and um, I don't I, I don't blame Zim either for um, if he bristled at some of the the questions Chris asks because they they're a little bit he, he asks the hard questions sometimes like the question that maybe other people like myself would be a little shy to ask Mike Zimmer or or, or another or a player or something. So well, that's the thing that it, and I only bring up Chris just because it's it it is it became a thing during. Zimmer's era, but just like you're saying, I think everybody respects Chris's position. You know, I, that's the thing that I thought was just such so childish of of Mike Zimmer. Like you don't realize that these questions are relevant questions. Like he's not asking you about your personal life. Yeah, he's asking about in this case, in this case, your job status, which um, Mike everybody's talking about. You were on the hot seat when the season started. Like this is not new information. Yeah. And this is what the fans want to know. And I've never thought that Chris has been, was ever out of bounds with any of his questions. I just thought it was funny. It was entertaining because you just knew that look, they I don't think I don't think Chris disliked Mike Zimmer, but you could clearly hear Mike Zimmer not liking Chris. And so he'd ask a, a very relevant question a very respectable way and he just gets shit on. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. This is so awkward. Yeah. It, it awkward is a good word. Um but I agree that that Mike Zimmer seemed to just kind of pretend like late this season that nothing was happening and everything yeah. was normal and it, the the sky was I don't I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like he he kind of just avoided it entirely. And then he would say like like Chad Graff the athletic great reporter he asked him a question like um what are some things like you've learned during your eight year like or what are you like most proud of during your eight years and, and zim's like um now is not the time to reflect on eight years like we could do that later and of course that wasn't actually going to happen later as soon as he got fired he hasn't said anything publicly since like yeah um so uh i'll be curious to see if because rick spielman has done some like Media history, like he was on with Colin Coward the other I day. I saw that which clip. Was interesting, and he was he said he was talking about defensive coaches and their relationships with quarterbacks, which um, not super subtle there. Uh, but I'll be curious to see if and if or when Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins say something to address it because we haven't heard anything from Kirk. Like, yeah, which is which is interesting to me as the quarterback, theoretically the leader um, or, or a leader when the two most important people in, in the organization um, from a football perspective get fired and, and we haven't heard anything from him on that. So, yeah. I mean, the, Which next, I the guess... next day there were a few people talking. It was like Brian O'Neill, Eric Hendricks, Adam mm-hmm. Thielen, who kind of faced the, the questions about that and, and what it means. Yeah, I guess that's true. But, you know, Kirk's never been one to go onto social media with anything like his opinions yeah. or anything like that. So unless – Unless he agrees to do a sit down with somebody, then he, I don't think he feels obligated to say anything. Yeah, and, and that's fair. It's just, yeah. I'm just, it is, I'm just it, pointing out that it's, it's a little bit interesting. No, it is interesting. I, it is interesting because he is, look, he is, he's the face of the franchise, whether fans like it or not. I mean, you, your quarterback who is making a lot of money and I think is actually a really skilled player, um, the face of your franchise has yet to really comment on, the firings of the GM who gave you this monster contract. Yeah. You know, you you owe you owe him a lot just just to say something. Yeah. And and mostly, I'm going to say mostly positive. He should say some mostly positive stuff about Rick Spielman. But 
I mean, I want to know what he thinks about Mike Zimmer, you know, in an honest way. I don't think he's going to say anything. Um, He's not going to say anything to get himself in trouble. He's just going to take the high road. But I would love an honest answer from him. Yeah, and that's a fascinating relationship between the two of them, which which was what, was what Spielman was touching on the other day when he, he was talking about it. But, uh, I mean, now he wasn't directly talking about the two of them. Yeah, but, but he, got that, that let me ask you this then. The comment that you're talking about, and I saw it the other day uh, on Twitter, it was just like the little 20 or 30-second clip. And like you said, it, it was not subtle at all. It was – they, I think, I think Colin asked him, like, basically, what do you think the new GM should do, and how they, how he sh- should establish his his culture and stuff. And he's, and then Rick Spielman said something along the lines of, "Well, I think that the head coach, especially if it's a defensive coordinator, needs to have a relationship with the quarterback." And that obviously is not so subtle. That's exactly the problem. One of the problems that that Mike Zimmer had with this team, um, it did not circulate the way I thought it was going to circulate. I, I saw it on I saw it on one deal and then I never really saw it again. Yeah, I still might actually like tweet that out. I've been I've been meaning to do that and I, I haven't done it, but um, it was interesting. And and going back to just the relationship with with Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins, like it was fascinating to see how that kind of progressed over time. And and we found out this year that they had just started like watching film together and having these like weekly Thursday sessions like for the first time. Like that wasn't a thing. The first three years of, of the Cousins era here, um, which is just a, a very interesting detail. Um, so, you know, I think this is interesting to to note that it's not it's not um, unique that a head coach, whether you lean offense or defense, do you don't really have a relationship with the other side of the ball. Now, there are some guys like like. I've often referenced John Harbaugh in in Baltimore because I think from the outside perspective and some of the things that I've I've learned from talking to some of his his players and former players is he does a tremendous job of overseeing the whole team. Truly has kind of the CEO feel. He hires an offensive coordinator that he trusts, hires a defensive coordinator that he trusts although he just fired him, but he kind of runs the whole team from a top-down perspective. Now, he's unique. Most teams, including let's look at the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan, he's an offensive-minded guy. He's not going to poke his head into the defensive room very very much, maybe once or twice a week. And it's not really to meddle. It's just to kind of like show his face and stuff like that. So what Mike Zimmer did is not is not out of bounds. You know, as a defensive coordinator to – Trust your offensive coordinator and say, you guys do your thing over there. I'm going to do our thing over here on defense, and then I'm going to manage the games. I think the problem, though, is, and this is maybe a little bit unfair, that if you're a defensive-minded head coach, you have to build that bridge to the quarterback. Don't, don't care what the personality clashes are. Don't care how you guys feel about each other personally or professionally. But if you don't build that bridge – you're going to have that you're going to have the result that you had here with the Minnesota Vikings. And I don't think that that's necessarily the same for an offensive head coach because you you're going to be in there with the quarterback. There isn't a true unless it's unless it's like whoever the the main defensive player is. So for this team if it's Harrison Smith or you should at least build a little bit of bridge. It's just not quite as important. You know what I'm saying? So it is a little – I think it is It is a little talking out of both sides of your mouth and a little hypocritical, but I think it's the responsibility of a defensive head coach. They have a little bit more to build than maybe an offensive head coach. And I think that 
the fans are going to find out if the Vikings hire an offensive head coach. Don't be surprised if that's kind of the way it is. They're going to focus on offense, defense, you do your deal. And there's still going to be this a little bit of this separation. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that, that kind of ended Mike Zimmer's era here was that he seemed maybe a little bit resentful of just the big contract given to Kirk Cousins because we know at the, at the Combine in 2018 before uh, before that deal was signed, he was talking about, like, hey, we've had success uh, with with playing really good defense and, and controlling the ball and with guys like, like Teddy and, and Case Keenum, and we don't want to spend a ton of money on the quarterback that will inhibit our ability to retain players and sign players elsewhere. Uh, and so I think maybe that aspect of it and just the personalities weren't weren't really – meshing I don't think between the two of them um, but one thing I'll say is I think your point of Zimmer kind of ignoring the offense wasn't necessarily like the case from some of the things that I've read and heard like one of the one of his shortcomings and one one of the things that didn't really work out and created tension was that he would kind of meddle on the offensive side of the ball and like that I mean they went through six different offensive coordinators in the last six years some of those, like Stefanski went to another team or, or people would. Yeah, Shermer um, went to another team. Shermer was hired as a head coach, exactly, yeah. yeah. But um, like John Filippo in 2018, he would, Zimmer would, would, was upset that they were throwing the ball and that they were, were doing all these different things with the, with the style of play and the scheme. Um, and, and I think that that kind of rubbed some offensive players the wrong way from, from things I've read, that like he would meddle in the offensive side of the ball, even though he's a defensive coach and he's not like – really like involved in the actual game planning or scheme on the offensive side but he's he's poking his head in and saying like you guys need to run the ball more or like I don't like this aspect of what's going on and and I think that um that's pro- that was probably difficult for like a Clint Kubiak for example first time play caller um so no I think that's a yeah. that that is that's a really good point the the way that you you say that I'm I'm thinking about the kind of history of what your the offensive coordinators and stuff, and you're right. Like, even I'm guilty of saying that he had this separation between offense and defense. But and we, you know we heard Brian O'Neill say it, so I think some of it is sort of supported by the guys within. They felt that. Um, but you're right. He did put his thumb on a lot of these guys, and he was overseeing some of the offensive philosophy. But it, but it seems like maybe just the communication, the way the way it was done was done in sort of this asshole way where it's not that he just says, hey, guys, I think that we need to run the ball more. I think that we have a, a difference in philosophy and maybe we should do this. It was almost like run the ball more. Yeah. And it, I got the sense that that wasn't really communicated all the time during the course of the week, but at halftime of a game, yeah. you know, or in a post-game press conference. of like, yep, we talked about it. I told him to run the ball more. I don't know why we're not doing that. I'm like – Wow, that's like a direct shot at the offensive coordinator, and maybe you should say that in like a nicer way. <laughs> maybe that yeah. should be communicated in a way that's not so uh, confrontational. But so maybe you're right. He he meddled almost. He meddled in a in a in a way that was negative, and he was involved. But there was a maybe this human touch, maybe this bedside manner that he just kind of lacked. Yeah, no, and I I agree with that, and I think a lot of. Vikings fans, just from what I've seen on Twitter, like looking at this upcoming coaching search and, and heading into the future, like I think they're concerned about the number of defensive coordinators that are on the list of of people they interviewed, and they just requested an interview with the Giants' defensive coordinator Patrick Graham this morning, and um, 
Like, I think the only offensive name left on that list right now is Kevin O'Connell of the Rams. And the thing I'll say is, like, it's more nuanced than just offense and defense. Like, there are a lot of great uh, defensive-minded head coaches in the league. Uh, Sean McDermott, Bill Belichick, etc. Um, so if the Vikings do hire a defensive head coach, that's that's fine as long as, A, they have that relationship with whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Kirk or, or it's somebody else, and, and B... They hire a good offensive coordinator who hopefully can can be here for a little bit. Or I mean, I guess if they get another, if they get a head job, sure. you're having yeah. a lot of success, so that's yeah. fine. But they can be that leader of the entire uh, in the entire locker room and not just kind of um, make the the offense and the defense feel like they're they're two different sides of the team and and competing against each other at times. Which I think it felt like. I mean, obviously you're competing against each other, but. At the end of the day, I think you want to be, and you know this better than I would, obviously, that you want to be like an entire team and working towards the same goal. You know, I hate to say, as a defensive-minded guy, I hate to say that defensive-minded head coaches don't always work. I just, I just think that you look at who made the playoffs this year, and, well, right now we've got, just a hand, but four teams left. Is there a defensive head coach? Let's see. Nope. Nope. Not not San Fran, not L.A., not the Chiefs, and not the Bengals. Yeah. All four of those. And I think at one point in time, you go back a week, only two of the eight teams had defensive-minded head coaches. So if you're looking at, and I have not done the research on going back, you know, the five- or ten-year perspective, but if you look at those divisional round games, how many are offensive-minded head coaches and how many defensive-minded head coaches? So, you know, again, going to, like, analytics of what of what Kweesi is, uh, is, is doing, you know, I know he hates that word, but there might be something there. There yeah. might be something to the fact that, yeah, there's some good defensive head coaches. you got to have things kind of work out the right way. But if you want to give yourself the best chance to be in the big game, maybe the offensive-minded head coach is the way to go. Yeah, and I understand both arguments. So the one, and it's it's an easy one, but it's a it's a valid one that like we should get an offensive minded head coach because that's the way the league's going. Because you're not going to have six offensive coordinators in six years, you're going to have that stable presence who's going to have a, a great relationship with the quarterback and be intricately involved in in the offensive game planning and scheme and play calling and all that. Um, I, I get that, and I I understand the appeal of that. Whether that if that's like a Kevin O'Connell from the Rams, or um, there's a few other options out there that uh, I'm kind of surprised they haven't looked into. But like who? Um, well, like Brian Dable from the Bills. Um, he's probably going to end up with like the Giants or, or somebody like that. It I know he's looking at Miami as well. Miami, yeah. Um, I was a little surprised they didn't reach out to like Byron Leftwich. Yeah. Uh, with the Bucks. Um, the only coordinator of the current NFC teams alive that they haven't um, requested an interview with is Mike McDaniel, the 49ers guy, who I think is just fascinating. Like, I tweeted out um, a cut-up of a bunch of his press conferences yeah. that went kind of viral because um, he's just a he's a very fascinating. He doesn't he's look, quirky. He's quirky. He doesn't, he doesn't look like a uh, your typical football coach, but been around Kyle Shanahan forever. Brilliant run game coordinator for them for, for a long time before becoming the OC this year. So... Um, th- those are interesting ones. But I also think that sometimes people can oversimplify that a little bit, like offense good, defense bad. Like I think that's that's the mindset of some fans, which, again, I understand. But 
it's about at the end of the day finding the right leader of men to to lead the locker room and unite a culture and like Mike Vrabel in Tennessee is a great coach. Mike Tomlin in, in with Pittsburgh is a great mm-hmm. coach. Like you can you can be a defensive minded head coach and still have still care about the offensive side of the ball and have a great staff on that side of the ball and do well and and if you're a great leader who um can can kind of unite everybody and you have a good um GM assembling a good roster like it, it's very doable. So I'm like I'm a big fan of the 49ers defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans from what I've read about him. I mean former player, he just seems like a guy that that players like go to war for and and just love because he can relate to them. I mean he's young. Yeah. Um, but super smart guy, great defensive mind. Uh, but it's, I think he'll be a good head coach. Or I mean, I don't know if he'll be a good head, but I, I, I imagine that he has a, a chance to be a good head coach just because of who he is and, yeah. and, and the traits that he brings, his character and um, just the work ethic and, and things like that, that just because he's not an offensive, offensive guy, uh, that's somebody I find really interesting. Raheem Morris from the Rams uh, is another one that I've written about who – is is kind of unique because he's coached both sides of the ball. Yeah. Um. And, and I know people are like, okay, he was the head coach in in Tampa uh, a long time ago. Didn't do very well, but he was like 32 years old. And and you read about it, he wasn't prepared for that opportunity. He wasn't yeah. expecting that. Like they fired John Gruden and replaced him with with this 32 year old guy who had never even been a coordinator before. Yeah. Um. So I I think he deserves another chance. You, you you see what he did with that Falcons team when he was the interim in 2020 when mm-hmm. Dan Quinn was fired. Like they came into US Bank and and crushed the Vikings in that yeah. first game. Like yeah, they did. I think players just just rally for him and he was the pass game coordinator um on the offensive side of the ball for for Kyle Shanahan for a, for a while in Atlanta. So um those two are kind of those those three I think the, the three coordinators on the current NFC uh finalists. The the two Rams guys, O'Connell and Morris, and then D'Amico Ryans from the 49ers would be at the top of my list right now. Yeah, I'm a big fan of O'Connell. And I <clears throat> I would say, so I'll, I'll backtrack one one tick here, okay. that Fred Warner, I don't know if you heard the 49ers linebacker talk about D'Amico Ryans the other day, and I thought this was a great, a great line and some great insight. He said he's never been around a coordinator – that makes the right call in the most stressful situations. And look, we we can go back a week and look at the Bills situation. As much as I love Leslie Frazier, and I think Sean McDermott is a great coach, the, they shit the bed at the end of the game. Absolutely. And what you're looking for, and what do we talk about for every game coming up, is we're previewing every game. We all, we we talk about third down. You know, we talk about red zone. And we talk about basically closing the game out, end of first half and end of second half, which you know really reared its ugly head for the Vikings this year. Those are th- those are critical down and distances situations. We talk about critical situations all the time. We we practice special situations in practice all the time. You know, four minute drill, two minute drill. Hey, we've got these this many timeouts. Like it's all game situations. And if you've got a coach that is cool, calm, and collected under fire, and is able to make the right call in stressful situations. Man, that that guy has the it factor. He has the feel that you're looking for and is not the moment doesn't get too big for him. So it's impressive that a guy like D'Amico Ryan's in his first year is getting that specific sort of praise from one of the best linebackers in the league. Um Leslie Frazier's been in the league a long time, and 
I can tell you personally, we've been in a lot of critical situations when I was playing for him where he would just revert back to these base calls and like, dude, you've got to change things up. Like we're too predictable in the worst time. And that's what happened at the end of their game. They were too too predictable. They, they knew exactly what coverage they're going to be in. They knew they were going to expose the middle of the field and all that stuff. So, yes, I like D'Amico Ryans. But, again, I'm going to go back to we have Kirk Cousins who has one year left. Who knows what's going to happen after that? I don't think you're going to be able to move the contract. I don't think people – I don't know a team out there that's going to want to take on $45 million cap hit. I just think that you're – whether you like him or not, I think you're stuck with him. you got Dalvin Cook. You got two great wide receivers. You get Irv Smith back. You add a piece or two in the offense line. You're ready to go. I would like to see if this defense is going to take a year or two to kind of get back. Then let's just go outscore people. You know, let's just let's just get some firepower out there. Let's get a guy like Kevin O'Connell. That it, it's a very similar looking offense. What yeah. the Rams do to what the Vikings sort of looked like this last year. They try to take the top off off of defenses a lot. There was a lot of big explosive plays, and. We still have Dalvin Cook that we can find some balance with. So short-term, long-term, I just think that an offensive-minded guy is the, is the way to go. And if, if the only guy on the list is Kevin O'Connell, sign the dude right now. Like, yeah. let's go. Let's get this over with. Yeah, I, no, I, totally, I totally get that. I don't, I don't disagree with that, that pers- perspective at all. And I think just getting a, a Sean McVay protege like O'Connell, I mean, we've seen what McVay has done. It, it all kind of comes from that same tree, like the Kubiak mm-hmm. Shanahan uh, offense, and so it but it looks it way different be, than what Shanahan's it, doing. It be- does look different. You're right. Yeah, I read a great article actually recently about that with with Shanahan and McVeigh about to um, play each other this weekend. Like the, how they've kind of taken the same idea and and modified it to to their personnel mm-hmm. and um, done different things with it. But yeah, the one thing I'll say, I mean, there was a lot. I was thinking a lot of stuff when you when you were talking just now um, about D'Amico Ryan's and, and Kirk Cousins and all these. With Kirk, I think you can probably trade that contract. I, I would push really? back on that a little bit because no, I'm, I'm curious to hear because yeah. it seems like such a monster number. Why would anybody take so, on? So you're not. They wouldn't be taking on the 45. At most, it would be 35 because that's his base salary. The Vikings would eat the 10 million in signing bonus as dead money. And then what I think they can do, um, at the very least, maybe maybe you have to do this to make a trade happen, or you do this to like improve the return you get in terms of draft compensation you can eat some of that salary um, and add to the 10 million you're you're eating as dead money and so maybe you maybe you add another five or ten or whatever and, and then that team's taken on like 25 30 million and I think that's probably a more palatable number for for Kirk Cousins and who he is as a player right now um, which I think 30 30 million though at at this stage of quarterback contracts, Thirty million for his talent level, I think, is something that somebody would take on. Oh yeah, for one year. That sounds like a lot, but I mean, go look at all the QB contracts right now. Yeah, like, they're going up. That's yeah, that's not like a, a crazy number at any mm-hmm. at, by any means. Forty five, which is his current cap hit, is still a crazy yeah. number. Okay, yes. Yeah. Thank, thank you for unless the unless you're Patrick Mahomes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, that's um, a good good clarification because the Vikings. You're right. The the signing bonus and all that stuff. I guess I was just using forty five because that's what gets tossed around. But you break that down into who's responsible for what. And again, if you can get smart with it and take on some more and roll some more into a signing bonus and eat some more of that, then then yeah, you're right. I mean, it could be could be a, a movable player in a movable contract. Yeah, I think there's I think they have two options. I mean, I just don't think that they let him play out this year with that 45 million cap hit and the uncertainty of uh, him becoming a, a free agent next year and and maybe you don't 
get anything if he if he you maybe you get a you get a comp pick. But uh, I think the two options are you, you trade him and, and you look around the league. And uh, I wonder how Quasi's background as this like business guy. I wonder if that's something that he would be interested in in doing and in looking around to like Cleveland or Carolina or Pittsburgh or Denver, all these teams that could really use a Kirk Cousins mm-hmm. uh, and trade, try to try to figure out a trade. The problem is then what are you doing at quarterback? Right. Um, so there's that. Or I think you you could extend him again and lower the cap hit, but then you're committing to a couple more years of a guy who has made the playoffs once in in four seasons. And obviously that's not just him. The defenses have been bad the last couple of years. But uh, that, that to me is, is why it's such an intriguing offseason. There's – there's that. Then you talk about Daniel Hunter, who's got a 26 million cap hit and has played like eight games the last two seasons. You talk about all the other veterans on the roster. Do they kind of go for it and say we're close? Look at all these one score games. Or do they say, all right, that's what we that's what they did kind of the last two years, and it, it just didn't work out. Do we need to maybe go younger and and, and shed some of these these veterans and make some tough decisions uh, and, and try to just find a quarterback somewhere and, and build it up from from the ground a little bit. I'm I'm really curious to see what Quasi what moves he starts to make, which, which are going to come in the in the next few weeks and months. Well, yeah, it's going to have to you know after they get the head coach and all that yeah. stuff, those decisions probably won't be made public for a while. But um, I'm sure internally they're going to come to a conclusion pretty quickly on what they're going to do with some of these guys and some of these contracts. I just. I know it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. I know from a fan perspective, there's going to be look. You're going to be pissed off about some of the decisions that are made. You know, it it just is. I mean, if you if you love, um, you know, I don't. I think we're all kind of can in the same boat with Anthony Barr. I don't think that he's me back with the team unless he takes a, a big time reduced contract. Um, but I just don't see that. You know, Harrison Smith. You know, look. I mean, he's making a lot of money. He's he's getting an old he's he's a little bit older, you know. Where does Quasi see how to revamp this defense in a short amount of time that's still going to provide some long term stability? Do you shed a contract like that? Do you not bring Patrick Peterson back if he wants, even if he wants to come back, because he's going to command a sizable amount of money even on a one year deal? Can you get Daniel to restructure his contract? What do you do with a guy like Michael Pierce, who again did, has not played a lot? Um, I think he's a quality player when he's in there. But he's kind of costing the team a lot of money. And you have the two nose tackles. I don't know if a new right. coach and GM are going to want both of those guys. Right. The and it also depends if you bring in a defensive coordinator that says, like, hey, we're going to go to more of an odd man, three man front. You know, we're going to look more like a 3 4 than a 4 3. And all of a sudden now you're looking for more pass rushers than you are anything else. And I think that you could probably sacrifice some of the secondary. Like, again, I know it, it almost feels wrong to say getting rid of Harrison Smith. But if you get rid of a guy like Harrison Smith, and you put that money and invest that money in the defensive front and say, look, guys, you're not going to have to cover very long because we're going to have this pass rush that's outstanding. That's what we're going to put our money into. And we're just going to kind of build up our secondary through the draft and some B-level free agents. That might be the way to go. Like going back again, if you keep Kirk, just chuck the ball there, you know, get the offense rolling, you know, score 35, 40 points a game, and hopefully you, you just outscore people. Yeah, and, and not just Harrison Smith. I mean, there's a number of veterans – it, it, I don't know. I don't think Quasi would come in and just tear everything down because there is such a, a foundation of talent still here. And he, he talked about that yesterday. But 
unless you're a young player like Justin Jefferson or like Brian O'Neill or I don't think you can feel 100% like secure that you're going to be with the Vikings next year. Like if you're Eric Hendricks or if you're Adam Thielen and like these are great, great players who have been such key parts of the Vikings for a long time, but they're also 30-ish or approaching it or on the other side of it and um, are making 10, 13, 15 million this, this upcoming year. So yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see what he does uh, in terms of managing the salary cap because I think they have the fourth worst um, mm-hmm. cap number in 2022 right now. There's obviously a lot of things you can do with that, and Rob Brzezinski's great uh, at managing that stuff. But they they could go a number of different directions, and uh, I'm I'm I'm, exa- I'm excited about it. I that's I love the off season to see just what moves are made and analyze it, and then you get to the draft and what what are they going to go at number 12 and um, it's just, can I it's, say it's something cool. else? Can I ask you another question that yeah. seems like it's blasphemy? Dalvin Cook. No, would, it, would you move Dalvin Cook? I don't. I don't think that's as blasphemous as as like the initial uh, reaction to that might be from some people because he is a running back who is turning twenty seven and is making a lot of money and he's a great great player. But it, you look at this past season and. I don't think he was quite the same player. I mean, there was the the Steelers game where he was getting huge holes to run through and looked awesome, and there were a few other games where he was like, "Yeah, that's that's peak Dalvin." But um, it, it's the it's the it, it's analytics in, in a way that that discussion of like looking at all the data, looking at everybody's viewpoint, is it worth it to have a, a highly paid running back in in the league when you can you can find these guys as like. 49ers drafted Eli Mitchell in the sixth round, and he's yeah. been great for them. Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think the idea of moving on from Dalvin Cook, if you can trade him or, or release him or whatever the case may be, I don't I don't think that's as crazy as it might sound to some people. That's why I I do think from a Vikings fan, you have to be ready to buckle up because if you've fallen in love with some of these players, I think the harsh reality is. Whether whether cousins look whether cousins is a part of it or not, you know. Let's just say that you st- you move cousins and you're eating 15 million against the cap this year, but but somebody else has taken the 30 or 35 million base salary for next year, and that's off the books. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that one of your favorite players could still be moved and still be released from this team because that cap number is real and um, their cap situation is real and. I think it'd be a little irresponsible if you got rid of Kirk. Now, depending on if, they, if it was a trade, let's just say it's um, let's just say it's with the Vegas Raiders, and you're getting Derek Carr on a one-year deal as well. You need to kind of do a one-year swap. You know, um, they whoever it sounds like they're gonna you know probably go the way of New England there with with McDaniel's. If he goes there and he likes Kirk Cousins, and that's the guy, and we just swap quarterbacks, it's not a bad deal. Not a bad deal. No, Derek Carr's pretty good. Derek that's, Carr's pretty good. That's better than like getting Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold. <laughs> right. That's not a bad deal, but I still don't think that answers everything. You could still see a guy like Dalvin get released. You could still see Harrison Smith get released. But then you just hope that they take that money and then go invest it in, in let's say, pass rush, defensive front, something like that. Yeah. And it, it's, just, it's just so exciting. I mean, there's all these directions that they could go. And – the quarterback, it starts and ends with the quarterback. Like, so if you trade Kirk, which personally I think is something you have to really 
think consider, about it and explore yeah. and consider because because of the record and because of just I just don't know I don't know if he's that true leader that you that you want at that position. Um, maybe that's not fair to him, but um, I think you you look at the the best quarterbacks and like the Mahomes and Josh Allen's and obviously those guys don't grow on trees, but they have a certain Joe Burrow. They have a certain swagger and leadership, and guys rally behind them and, and they're they're aggressive, taking shots and and Kirk is is a very talented, very accurate quarterback, but it's sometimes just robotic going through my progressions and. Um, this is where the ball is supposed to go. And I know Justin Jefferson has put up huge numbers, but sometimes it, it, you still are left wanting even more. Like, just give give J.J. a shot. Throw it up to him, even if he doesn't appear to be wide open. So um, that's – I'm getting off, off topic a little bit with Kirk. But um, if they if they do trade him, then it's like, are you are you looking into a quarterback this year? Because it's not a super strong QB draft no, class not from, at all. from what I've heard. But at the same time, people say that there's still like five or six guys who are being talked about in – in the first couple rounds, statistically, one or two of those guys is going to become a good quarterback, if not a, right. a great quarterback. So, do you just do you just take a chance there on like a, a Malik Willis or or a Desmond Ritter or Sam Howell or whoever it is, and 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 hope, and then maybe try again next year if that doesn't work out, like the Cardinals with Josh Rosen and Kyler, whatever. Um, and then you could also bring in a bridge quarterback, like. You could sign Marcus Mariota, or you could sign Jameis Winston, or whatever, and and have those guys give you a shot for a year and and keep Jefferson happy, maybe who who wouldn't want a, a a rookie quarterback who might struggle because he he's in the third year of his rookie contract and proven himself to be one of the best receivers in the league. So there's just so many different elements that go into it um, with with the little ripple effects of every decision that they're going to make coming up here, and the talent base is there, and I think Quasi. I think he, ha- he, I'm sure he has a lot of ideas about what he wants to do with this roster, and uh, yeah, we're we're, we're, we're going to find out pretty soon. Are you someone who deals with chronic soreness? Maybe it's sore and achy joints from an old injury, or you're an active person who pushes their bodies, or maybe it's age-related arthritis. Whatever the cause, I have the solution for you. It's called Iaso. I a SO, and it's a revolutionary therapy device that uses 100-year-old scientifically proven cold laser technology. This South Korean wonder device is the only cold laser device that can be used at home and hands-free. Most of the time, you have to go to some sort of hospital or clinic to get this type of treatment because of the size of the machine. But Iaso has engineered this potent light therapy into a device that fits into the palm of your hand. I use my devices all the time on my arthritic knee and my bulging disc in my neck with relieving results. And guess what? It's all done pain-free. Go to wellscare.net or bestbuy.com. That's wellscare.net or bestbuy.com to purchase and start enjoying your life pain-free with Iaso. So let me ask you more about Kirk because uh, he's such a, a polarizing guy, whether he wants to, whether it was intentional or not. And I think we're all, we all know it's not intentional. He's just being himself. Um, let me throw this hypothetical at you and just get a comparison. Would you rather have Kirk or Matthew Stafford? Yeah, I I think I'd rather have Matthew Stafford. Really? Yeah, and th- and that's an interesting one because I I've looked at that in the past when when Stafford was on the Lions and compared the the stats and whatever and and they're pretty close. Kirk I think comes out a little bit ahead. Um, so you're like all right, they're they're, they're pretty similar. And then how I guess it's how much of of Stafford's success this year do you credit to McVeigh and and Cooper Cup and being in 
in that offense. But just watching him last week, I mean, that throw he made to Cup yeah. um, after the, the Bucks had come back and tied the game, like, he wasn't rattled by blowing But up. the three or four games before that, everybody was saying going into this game, because of his poor performances in the three or four games before that, a lot of people didn't think that they were going to win. Yeah, and, I mean, the Vikings game, he threw some bad interceptions. Bad. Barr had a couple. Um, but, yeah, I think I think he's he's similar to Kirk Cousins, and they're operating in in similar enough offenses um, that, that they can be compared. I think Stafford just gives you a little bit more of that aggressiveness and and the just the gusto and um that the leadership i, I think a, a, to a, to some degree uh, and his style of play is going to lead to a, a few more turnovers but i think it's also going to be conducive to a little bit more explosiveness so mm-hmm. th- those are close but it's 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 hard to argue with what we've seen from stafford the past couple of weeks how about garoppolo yeah i think Kirk cousins is a better player than, than yeah. garoppolo yeah but again, it's it's weird. Like, you look at Jimmy's career record as a starter. It's like I saw it the other. It's like thirty three and fourteen or something. Five and one in the playoffs. Like yeah. And that's that's you get into the whole you debate for days. Like QB wins. Is that yeah. is that yeah. a thing? Um, You're like he's they, just a winner. That's yeah. all he is. He's just it's, a it's winner. A team game. He's one of twenty two or one of one of eleven guys, obviously on the, on the offense. But um, yeah, I mean Kirk. I, I think. I would be, I'd be very curious to see what Kirk would look like somewhere else. Like mm-hmm. if if he was in San Francisco or LA with a Shanahan or McVeigh, like maybe he would just be lighting the world on fire. I yeah. don't know. Well, and that's kind of going back to Kevin O'Connell. That's that's sort of why I feel like if we're going to get the best out of our quarterback, let's try one more time, not with a first-year coordinator in Clint Kubiak who you know, I, I think I think statistically he did a fine job for for year one. Look, you got to give him some slack. I thought actually, I think he did a great job for year one. I mean, it's a hard thing to come in and do, establish your identity, your persona, your your presence. And again, with Mike Zimmer, again with shoulder, Mike Zimmer yeah. as your yeah, looking over your shoulder and browbeating you every time you don't do something the way he wants it to be done. Um, when you know, on the other side of it, you know, Mike Zimmer never looks at himself for the bad decisions that he makes. You know, so. Um, I think Clinton did a fine job. I just I would actually like to see Clint out of curiosity what he what he do in year two and three with this offense as he got more comfortable with his installs and just got more game experience. But that being said, you you bring up Matthew Stafford and and is it the system or is it Matthew Stafford? We've seen what Matthew Stafford can do in Detroit for a long time, and that's you know not always his fault either. But then wow, one year in McVay's system and this is what it looks like. Shit, give me that give me that type of system for Kirk Cousins and and. Uh, O'Connell and him, you know, the cross pass for one year in Washington. Now, I don't know if they liked each other. I'm assuming they probably did. But they have a past relationship. If they get along, I'll take that $45 million cap hit. I'll make some sacrifices in other places. But if we can get an offense that looks like that. Oh, and by the way, let's just go find an Aaron Donald. But that's a whole thing. (laughs) But so before. You'd you'd be willing to not. We're not talking trade. We're not talking extension. Just. Let him play out this yeah. last year and, and evaluate from there. Yeah, I would. I would keep. I would say let's 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 uh, try it again. Let's take and eat the forty five million dollar cap hit. Um, he's on a one. He's on a one year prove it deal, with the idea that you're still going to draft a quarterback. I think we all know that Kellen Mond's not the future, and I think you have to be upfront with him. I think you have to just say, look, Kirk, like we're going to give this. We want we. 
We're going to ask you to be the guy that you are, elevate your play, but we have to look at the, look to the future. I think that's what all any player wants. And I think that's why he was a little, you know, a little hurt a little bit by by the Kellen Mond deal just cuz like guys, just be I'm the franchise quarterback. Just be honest with me about what direction you guys want to go. The same thing with Aaron Rodgers. Like I don't think that he was mad necessarily that that they drafted a guy. It's like you got to be upfront with me. Like you can't treat me like like I'm the 52nd player on the team. I'm the number 1 player on the team. Just give me that respect. And that's obviously just been torn apart as far as the relationship over in Green Bay. Um, but enough about Cousins and all that stuff. But but Quasey, we've mentioned it you know, several times. What was your takeaway from the decision by the management to go with a guy that has an alternative approach to football? And what was your takeaway by his press conference scene and seeing him in person? Yeah, I, I like it. I, I The more I, I read about him or the more I read about him and then just hearing from him yesterday, uh, I, I think it's it's I'm I'm buying it. I think I think it's exciting. And uh, is there risk involved? There definitely is risk involved because he's been in the NFL for like nine years. Um, but before he got to Cleveland a couple of years ago, he was in like the research and development. He wasn't really um, like studying tape and doing a talent evaluation and, and various things. And he got a crash course in that under Andrew Barry with the Browns. Um, but I just like that. They they didn't uh, get rid of Rick Spielman and then bring in somebody similar and mm-hmm. and just try to like make a slight change. I, if you're gonna make a change, why not make a, a drastic and go in a completely different approach and, and see if it works? And um, I I, w- I don't know if it will, but I think what Quasi has going for him is he's he's very very smart. He has great like people and interpersonal skills. Everything you've heard from people who've worked mm-hmm. with him in the past. They love him. John Lynch raves about him. Andrew Barry raves about him. Kyle Shanahan. Um, and I think what he's going to do is he's going to listen to everybody. And, and the Vikings have a good like front office already in place. He's not going to come in and rip that up. Like Robert Zinsky's still going to be there. Ryan Munnins, Jamal Stevens, Jamal Stevenson. Um, so you think all the all the head scouts and all that stuff are going to stay the yeah, same? Yeah, at least at least those top guys. I mean, yeah. he, he he mentioned all of them yesterday. Like mm-hmm. they were all on the, the Zoom interviewing him. Mm-hmm. Um, so if he can kind of figure out the best way to, like, defer certain responsibilities and just he, – he's, he's so focused on, on this collaboration and, and communication and getting everybody aligned on the same page. And that's not necessarily going to be easy as he comes in and works with these people who have been working with Rick Spielman for a long time. But if you can get everybody – kind of united in your vision and and he's going to listen to everybody and and have conversations and build these relationships and gather all the evidence and all and that's the thing about analytics is when people use that word it's and he said this yesterday it's not just spreadsheets and and numbers it's that's part of it and and having models that that can maybe give you an edge in in your uh, player evaluation and in college and and pro and, and stuff like that but it's also having conversations talking to everybody Gathering all the evidence and, and trying to build a consensus uh, from everybody in the building, uh, and then going in that direction. And so I think I, I don't think he's going to be afraid to make tough decisions. Um, I, I'm just really curious to see what his background means in terms of his approach. Like having that business background, mm-hmm. does that mean he's going to become a guy who like like Bill Belichick with the Patriots? Um, like Jamie Collins is the example. Like he became. Uh, this good player, but then he got a little expensive, and Bill was like, "All right, you can go 
to the Lions or wherever he, wherever he went, and then they got him back like two years later yeah. on a much yeah. cheaper deal, and he was still a good player for them. Like taking that business approach because that's where he comes from. He comes from Wall Street, mm-hmm. and, and he's talked about how that's it's kind of the same thing. Like you're just making decisions in uncertainty, which is something that that he is really just passionate and excited about doing, um, and, and making bets on players. Uh, with all the evidence you have, is, is similar to making bets on on a stock or, or a commodity sure. or whatever. With yeah. all the evidence that you have, and there's there's no sure things, obviously. But um, I don't know. I, I, after that press conference, I I'm even more like excited about uh, the the direction, and it'll a lot of it will depend on the head coach he he, he pairs himself with. Mm-hmm. But I think I mean, you, you got at the very least give him a chance, see, see what he does, and. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's I, cool. I I'm glad to hear you say that because I feel the same way that at first when I saw the initial list of GMs, I'm like, well, out of out of comfortability, I'd want somebody that is in football, knows football. But then as you get to learn more about him and everything that he's learned, the sponge that he became to learn football. Obviously he was, it's not like they just found this guy off the street. He was super successful, you know, on wall street and obviously very well educated, you know, has a little bit of an athletic background at Princeton, all those, you add up all those things like, well, this is a really sharp individual that seems like he just is as hungry to learn and all this other stuff. And so I started to fall in love with him as, as the GM candidates were getting pared down. And then when they ultimately made the decision and then I hear him, it's like, I'm all in. Like, I love this approach. I love what they're doing. I don't think that he's going to be a spreadsheet guy and just be in a sterile room saying like, well, we have to do this because this is what the computer says. Like, no, I, I, I'm i believing him when he says I'm going to aggregate all this personal information from all of the people that I've empowered to do that work. All the scouts, that's what you do the work. That's what they're there for is to scout these players and let's all collectively then make the best decision. I, I like the fact that, and you just said it as well, don't treat football as if it's it lives in a vacuum and there's no other correlation in any other way of life. Players are commodities. If you are a stock person you're, and you want to invest in this commodity or this stock, you're going to do all this research. What are the goods? What are the bads? How are they interconnected? If I make this move, how does it affect this move? If I pull this lever and pull this thing over here, how is it going to affect everything else? How's it going to affect my portfolio? I hate to say it, but that's what the NFL is. The NFL is living, breathing commodities and stocks. Yeah. That, and, that's, and that's actually kind of the way we felt as players too. If you can combine that business aspect of they've always tried to shield this idea that like, no, you know, you guys are more than that and whatever. Well, but you guys trade us and move us around as if we're just pieces on a puzzle. And you say one thing. But then you act another way and you take the human element out of it. It was hard not to feel like a stock or commodity. You know, they, they didn't have the emotional attachment. So if you can take all of that and recognize it for what it is and then add, you know, the human element with a, with a head coach that's the opposite of Mike Zimmer, I think you've got a home run, a potential home run. Because Quasey's not shying away from the fact that there's, there's not a lot different than from corporate America to running a football team. It's yeah. corporate America. And your pieces that make you you operate are the players. It's no different than any other corporation in America. Yeah, and he has that, but he also has a, a good, really good education in football. Like, this is a guy who's been 
in NFL front offices for nine years. It's a yeah. long time. In good programs. In, in great programs. Yeah, not I mean, like learning... little shitty bottom of the – No, no. Yeah. And he, he said he, he, he showed up to San Francisco and he was just an empty slate. Like he didn't have any preconceived notions about this is how you do this in the NFL or, or this is like this is how things are supposed to go. He was just learning and talking to everybody and – uh, just gathering as much information and asking why a lot and trying to figure out mm-hmm. why people make the decisions they do. And that's something he still does and something he's going to do uh, with other members of the Vikings front office. Why do you see this this way? I want to understand. And I think that's just a really, a really cool skill to have, to be able to do that at a high level. And in his background, I mean, in Cleveland, like he's he's been studying tape and he's been learning that stuff. And um, going on like the, the the scouting like college trips and and things like that, so he has the the mixture of the backgrounds. He's got the the Wall Street that we've been talking about, which is a similar mentality, and then he's also got the the the, the whole football crash course that he's he's learned from some really really smart people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the combination of that, if he can um, just continue doing that and continue learning from everybody that the Vikings have and and, and uniting people and. I think he could. I think he'll probably bring in some other faces to the front office sure. as well. Some, um, some smart people that maybe he's had relationships with the with in the past. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited just just listening to him talk. I mean, he's not just a cool backstory. He's he's uh, he seems like a really smart guy who has a plan and and is is going to do everything that he can to to figure this thing out. Yeah, and and I don't want to say this as if. Rick Spielman wasn't this because I I do want to say you know on the record that we're all the things that we're saying about about Quasey being like he just seems like a good guy and he's 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 smart and he's you know I I think that you know Rick Spielman was all of those things too you know you you talked he maybe wasn't like outgoing as far as his his interpersonal skills um, but he was a a super good guy. I mean, you could talk to him. He was nice. He treated everybody with respect. You know, he was a he was he was a good guy in that position as well. Obviously, the ownership just wanted to make a, a change there because he'd been there for a long time and things just kind of got stagnant. But I don't want to take away from the fact that like Rick Spielman's a great person. Yeah, you know, he really is. He tried to treat everybody with respect and run it the right way. So I don't think that that Quasey's a departure from that. I think he's just kind of picking up right where where Rick left off and then just adding in. You know some of those other things. And I do think that he is. You know, you you see a little bit more of a true, genuine person when he was in front of the cameras the other day. You know, the fact that he was getting teary, you know, teary eyed talking about his mom and his family situation, and just like I think everybody loved that. Everybody was like, "Man, this is like a real dude," you yeah. know. And he doesn't have this bravado of like, "I'm a football guy and I'm just yeah. going to be up here and we're going to make football decisions." And you know. I'm Dan Campbell, and I'm going to have this big rah rah speech, you know. And I do like Dan Campbell, but oh, yeah. you know, I'm like as a, as a as a contrast to a press conference that yeah. was like super aggressive, and you kind of loved it. Um, but Quasey was, you know, I think he killed his press conference in just a, a better way. Yeah, and Quasey himself, like I, I've listened to him say, that he he would never demonize like the the football guy background. Like, yeah, he knows a lot of people uh, that he's worked with who. Like almost everybody probably has come up in scouting and, and the traditional background and, and done things that way. And this is not just because the Vikings have made this higher. That's not like, oh, everyone in the league is going to do this. Like there's still obviously uh, so much value in that and being able to, to know the game and, and see the game. But just that the Vikings are trying something new 
after after Rick Spielman had been around for so long, uh, I think the the departure from that and and Rick Spielman was was great at his job. I mean, he was mm-hmm. one of the consistently one of the best drafting GMs. Um, I thought he just couldn't quite figure it out with like the QB and the offensive line, mm-hmm. which are pretty important. Pretty but, important. But he he brought in a lot of talent. And Quasey said it like the foundation is there. Yeah. And that's because of Rick Spielman, in large part, and and Mike Zimmer as well. Yeah, um, and he so, said a lot of high character guys as a well. A lot of high character yeah. guys. Um, so yeah, I mean, that that's why the 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 one uh, approach you could take uh, of of not fully rebuilding and just kind of reloading and saying we're we're right there. That's why that's still a possibility because of uh, what the, what those two guys did. Yeah. Well, to close this thing out, I, again, we're gonna. Go back to what you said earlier and we were kind of talking in the beginning of this podcast is, you know, I do sense a genuine sense of hope with this team. And like you said, I'm not all for big changes. I think that the foundation is set. Kwesi said it himself. You're obviously going to make changes no matter what. Every regime in the offseason is going to tweak their roster. That's that's the nature. You have to do that. I don't I don't foresee huge, huge changes. I think there are going to have to be tough decisions that have to be made. But listen, I think those tough decisions might have been made under Rick Spielman as well. I really do. Like all those kind of hypotheticals we talked about, I still think a lot of those were on the table even with Rick Spielman. So um, I don't think that's necessarily unique to Quasey. So um, that being said, Will, this has been awesome. Um, again, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, Twitter, it's at Will Raggetts, uh, R-A-G-A-T-Z. Uh, the website is si.com slash NFL slash Vikings. Yeah. Yeah, this has been fun. We could do this for a long time. I get, I get the feeling. But yeah, we could um, do this. We, you know, we should probably make this a semi-regular thing to talk. You know, all things Vikings. You know, I, I do try to mix up my podcast guests with a lot of different areas. But you know, I got to be honest too. I got a lot of Viking fans that listen to this podcast, and and I think they're really interested to get a deep dive and get not just my stupid perspective because they hear it all the time, but you know, a guy like you that has been a fan his whole life. You know, you have this amazing opportunity with Sports Illustrated. And like I said, you put out some really unique, fun content that I think the fans, you know, should gravitate towards. I know we have a lot of great beat writers in town, but that doesn't mean that you can't follow all of them and support all of them. And um, look, you, look, you're you're doing an awesome job. So, so keep it up. And um, yeah, maybe as the season gets closer, we just... You know, come right back and oh, yeah. sit down and talk about all the all the hopes and aspirations we have in this moment. Are they going to come to fruition? Yeah, I'm down. We at the very minimum, we should do it again, like after free agency and the draft, yeah. and kind of see see where things are at approaching training camp. So, yeah, this has been really fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, all right, man, that'll do it for us. Appreciate it, Will. So that's going to do it for us here at Unrestricted. I do want to thank Will for coming in. Again, it's Will Raggetts on Twitter, Will, R-A-G-A-T-Z. I want to thank him for his time. Please follow Will. He's, um, I think, one of the one of the up-and-coming beat writers in all of football. He has great content. He's fair. He's balanced. You know, he's going to give you some criticism, a little bit of an opinion. But uh, I like he, like he mentioned, a lot of positivity, a lot of deeper insight that you're not going to get at other sites. So check him out at Will Raggetts and everything at Sports Illustrated and SI.com. I do want to thank uh, my newest sponsor. How about this? 
Redmond Real Salt. Please go to redmond.life for all their amazing products, their ancient sea salt that's mined right here in the United States in Redmond, Utah. I discovered them about a year ago, and I honestly use their products every single day. I use their Relight Hydration Drink on a daily basis. I also use their pre-workout stuff, which I'm probably going to use here pretty soon after this podcast and go get my workout in. So it's redmond.life, and don't forget to use the promo code LIBER, L-E-B-E-R, at checkout for 15 15% off your order at redmond.life. I also want to thank my friends at Yaso, I-A-S-O. You can find the Yaso device. It's the world's only at-home hands-free cold laser therapy device. You can find that also at bestbuy.com and wellscare.net. I know that's a lot going on there. So wellscare.net, and you can also go to bestbuy.com, type in IA. SO for your cold therapy device. That is going to do it. Uh, thank you, Dave Yeager, for putting this all together. And thank you guys to the fans. I really, really appreciate it. I get more and more people reaching out just to say uh, thank you and to have some comments and some criticisms and some feedback about this podcast and how to make it better. And I do really appreciate everybody giving their, their assessment and um, even some suggestions on who to have for guests. So I do appreciate that. Continue to like, subscribe, and tell your friends and family about it. So, all right, that'll do it. I'll talk to you guys next week. See ya.